and welcome to episode 448 of the Awesome Comments Podcast, the place where the small press makes one hell of a big noise. My name is Vince Hunt, and joining me as always is the creator of the comic series Vanguard, Dan Butcher. Hello. And blah, 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 he's got a hat on, it's Tony Esmond. <laughs> Bonjour. Bonjour, comma tout Black town. I don't know what that means. Oh, what do you mean? I'll tell you who's good at French. Eamon and Simon, they're good at French. They're impressive, mate, with their accents. Oh, but who are they? Mm. Well, you'll find out later, later. listeners. Yeah. um, Because Tony's been out and about on Galem, and we'll be getting the the scoop, the skinny, or what what would that be in in French, Tony? The skinny? Uh, Le Med. (laughs) (laughs) I know what that is. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll be finding out all about that afterwards. And uh, welcome to the show, because this is going to be an awful lot of comic book chatter. Got a busy one this week, guys. Start your week. And we're not going to mess about. We're going to have all this banter and all this nonsense and, of course, great recommendations at the end of the show. Um, but first, we've got a bit of a special one. Got a bit of a, a name creator on. Somehow we managed to do this. I don't know Don't know why. And we've kept the, we get the cameras on and Tony's pulling funny faces as we speak. It's just to make himself laugh. What? Sorry. Yeah, this is why this is not. <laughs> My VPN video. was playing up there. Video, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah. you can get cream for that. But <laughs> <laughs> no mucking but, about. No, no, no mucking about because this is serious. As uh, we're, we're talking, should we just play it now? We're no Let's mess- get into it. No fucking about this week because the listeners want to hear the one and only Bob Fingerman. Okay, this week we're very pleased to be joined by a creator whose work includes the titles like Dottie's Inferno, White Like She, Mad Magazine, which gets mentioned quite a bit on this show, and a yep. lot of you out there must surely know him from the series Minimum Wage. Now now there's a career-spanning art book, That's Some Business You're In, which is a brilliant title. It's on the way, and we think it's time to welcome to the show the one and only Bob Fingerman. Welcome to the show, Bob. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. <laughs> Great to have you on, man. This is looking, yeah, this man. Is looking a cracking book Cheers, as well. Bob. Yeah. Can't wait to get it. It's really good. Quite an epic tome of like, and we just could get straight into it. Uh, like your career in cartooning and comics. So, what better question to ask than how did it all get started with cartooning? Yeah. That's quite a big question, I know, to start with. Yeah. But... Yeah. yeah uh, perhaps um, it happened. It's funny because the title is something my dad oft repeated anytime I would talk to him about what I was doing he would sort of pause and then just say that's some business you're in always with a bit of disdain (laughs) just oozing off it but the thing is um as much as my my mom was way more supportive of my doing art my dad was more instrumental in kind of choosing my path because he my parents were divorced when I was still an infant so you know I would it was the the weekend dad thing and when I started going you know when I was really young uh I didn't but you know from age of like four uh forward he would come pick me up on a Friday and we'd go back uh to his place which was in New Jersey I was in New York he was in New Jersey and um he being basically a clinical depressive, I'm chuckling. That's not funny at all. But I mean, it's it's what he was. Mm. He always had stuff in his house to kind of cheer himself up. And some of the stuff he okay. had were cartoon paperbacks. 
he had, you know, Peanuts, he had Pogo, he had Jules Pfeiffer and, you know, collections of gag cartoons and that kind of thing. And those were the first cartoon stuff I ever saw. So and it really kind of clicked a switch in my head where it was just like because, again, cartoons are also for children. They're really if they're not super detailed, they're really easily digestible images. Mm. So for me, I look at Peanuts. I get it right away. Jules Pfeiffer, he had a very kind of spidery line, but it was very clear. He didn't clutter his stuff up with backgrounds. It was just the two people talking and, you know, all these things. Uh, he had Gay and Wilson. Gay and Wilson was kind of the most detailed of, of all of them. But these were all images that my little brain could really absorb and try to, I don't, I won't say try to emulate, but it gave me um, kind of a clear road of what I wanted to do. Because I already wanted to draw. Uh, that came innately. I was just, uh, I think it was literally in my blood my my mother wanted to be an artist she didn't have the luxury but her sister who uh passed away before i was born her sister was an artist and uh, my maternal grandfather who was also long gone by the time i came along he was a professional artist so i think <laughs> i was just predisposed so you know the the desire to to put images on paper was already genetically there and then the kind of images i wanted to put on paper was probably uh, dictated by the early stuff i saw at my dad's apartment oh so were you the kind of kid in, in class who could draw you know there's always a kid in the class isn't mm. there that's why yeah i, I don't it. know if there is an articulate there is here but anyone would say you're a good drawer yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. good drawer um but yeah that was me you know and it was sort of that was like the one thing. This is all. This is like where you fall into the the whole archetype thing, you know. You're the the smallest kid in the in the class, and like, what's the thing about you that makes you slightly less punchable? You can. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm guessing around that time, Mad Magazine came with because I know we've spoken about it a lot. You were so proud to be in Mad. Was Mad yeah. Magazine an earlier? What what sort of artists in that period? were you feeling as well early but not as early as you might think mad was a little scary to me to start with you know mm. i had this sort of strange this was always part of my wiring the attraction repulsion thing which were usually equal in measure for the same thing where i was both attracted and repelled by it and i remember when i first saw mad i was very very young and I thought, oh, that's for older kids. That's not for me. You know, it's like that's forbidden fruit because, mm. you know, the covers were kind of grotesque and and in a way because they were. It's funny. I've never really thought about this where I was talking about the simplicity of like Charles Schultz and all that. The complexity of the images on the covers of Mad, which were all painted very realistically, were in a way at first off putting to me. Because they were kind of like, you know, who's this grotesque looking creep with the gap teeth? It just <laughs> yeah. was gross. <laughs> yeah. we, we had a we have a similar thing with 2000 AD over here. You know, kids of a certain age actually almost found it a little frightening, you know, yeah. for a similar sort of reason. I think. Yeah. 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 Well, that's the way it was for a lot of the things that I ended up liking. Magazines like Creepy and Eerie, you know, they yeah. were just like, oh, my God, Forbidden Fruit. And um I, but it was it was my babysitter's daughter 
who was a few years older than me, she read Mad. And I mm. kind of began to see it there, you know, after school when I would spend a few hours before my, my mom got home from work. Um, and that's when I began to get tantalized by Mad because it was like, you know, where you sort of gingerly lift the cover and kind of peek inside and it's like and then you see people like Sergio Aragones and Don Martin and again the stuff that was more easily digestible and, and quick and you... funny yeah they were yeah they? yeah so as like opposed the, to the sort of the adaptions drug. yeah yeah definitely yeah and the little Sergio doodles were good for kids I think weren't they around the edges yeah oh yeah and of course that instantly puts in your head wait a minute I can doodle on the edges of my notebook. I don't know. You know, my whole work or whatever doesn't have to just be yeah. all, all, you know, all work and no play. I think um, when you're a kid as well, I, I had something where every bit of paper was a like a sketch pad. Do you know what I mean? It drove my parents. Yeah. Like the beginning of a, of a novel, like just some tatty tape paperback or something. And there was a blank page. So the stick man came out and like, you know, all of that. Um, kids see things in a different way, don't they, when they just need to create yeah yeah they're they're less less well they're less fussy about things mm. i was a pretty fussy kid but i wasn't quite as fussy <laughs> did as you I'd um later, as i'd later devolve into or evolve into yeah did I've, I've never asked you this but were you a sort of capes and tights fan as well around that time or did you did not didn't didn't no. agree with you or no no, I've never, been, I've never been, which which of course doesn't necessarily endear me to the rest of the comics <laughs> community. Um, I mean, is that a statement yeah, that I can tried. be said now, though? Because like comics now, I think within the comics field, people look so much further than the conventional. Yeah. The capes and the the capes and the tights now become that sort of oh, we don't like those comics. Usually, like, they're the that. training wheels for many. They, they start on them and then move on to Mad Magazine or something like that. So you kind of came at it from a different angle. When in the yeah. same way that you've got Mad Magazine, people over here they either go Capes and Tights or they go 2000 AD often. And I think Mad Magazine in Marvel DC in America was was a similar sort of thing. I think you know sometimes. Hmm. Well, um, you know, you know, I think you know because both my parents were avid readers, and I think they also wanted you know me like especially when my mom saw that I liked comics. I think she wanted to get me stuff that was maybe a little, I don't want to use the word better because that's an elitist thing, but <laughs> she, she's the one who introduced me to Tintin because, you know, the, the paperbacks were coming out uh, in the States. And so she bought me one of those just to see if I would like it. Uh, I was probably nine or so at that point. And that was another thing that really made me say, oh, wow, okay, comics can okay. be something that i can connect with a little bit more you know i tried with some superheroes like spider-man i kind of flirted with enjoying for a little while but i the thing is i never the thing that i never really got and maybe it was stupid was the serialized nature of these kind of long you know where it's like mm. oh this is already yeah. issue number 200 whatever it's like are you kidding me you know <laughs> it's just like <laughs> I'm never going back to to see any of this earlier stuff. So to me, it was also it just always felt like you're cracking a novel right in the middle of it, and it mm. was just like eh. okay, yeah. I yeah. Know. The, the European books like the Tintin and the Asterix, isn't it? It was the small, little, contained book that was you could read it beginning, middle, yeah. and end. Yeah, self-contained yeah. was always more appealing to me, where it was just like okay, I'm going to get my my whole thing mm. here and. And there was a lot to those books compared to an American comic, aren't there? You know, 
it, it took you a while with a Tintin asterisk, especially because of all the gag, gag, gag stuff, mm. you know. Um, yeah. So, I mean, do you think <clears throat> you're, I mean, you went from, did you go from school to S, the School of Visual Arts? Is that where you went? SVA? Right in San Yeah. Yeah. How, um, how did that happen? I'm, I'm guessing, was it, was there a period of making comics before then and it flowed mm -hmm. into? Well, I went to, I mean, I was always drawing comics uh, from a young age on, uh, but I actually went to an art high school. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. I had hit a really dark patch in when I was in junior high school. So a, a seventh grade through ninth grade. If I, if I had known I could have started high school in ninth grade, I totally would have lobbied to get the hell out of my neighborhood school. I was in an incredible depression at that point. <laughs> it just felt like it's but just really, I know a lot of kids that's a really dark part because you're beginning adolescence and all that. Yeah, and suddenly a different person, aren't you? Where you're yeah. wrestling yeah. with being both a child and beginning to be a teen, and you know, my my being kind of the odd man out didn't help, and it began to feel even more kind of alienating at that point. It's not like I didn't have some friends, but it just felt like the whole milieu was was really getting on top of me, and so. Um, you know, I, and that was the one area where my mom and I butted heads because she loved school. I hated school. And, but I said to her, I can't, I was pretty much like, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> I cannot go to my local high school. It's going to be, it's really going to do me in. And so she researched and found, um, some art high schools, public, uh, art high schools, um, uh in queens in, or in manhattan okay I was in queens but these were you know what they call feeder schools because they're you know the the student body come from all five boroughs of of new york city uh commuting um and art and design you know I, I, a lot of people <laughs> probably have the exact opposite ex experience but high school probably saved my life because yeah. I was suddenly going to a school full of the weirdos, you know, it was like, oh, I'm not the weirdest one. Not that I was particularly weird, you know, I behaved normal, but I just mm -hmm. felt like I didn't connect. But then yeah. suddenly I got all these kids where, you know, there was a fashion design department at art and design. So suddenly there were kids who were like openly gay kids. That was not something that you would find, you know, uh, in my neighborhood school. Um, there were the comics kids. There were the architecture kids, like, you know, the very studious ones who mm. <laughs> show up with their T-squares and all that kind of thing. And and it was, you know, I'm not going to say it was paradise, but suddenly it was a school where I felt like I belonged. Okay. And like, and the other great thing was after 10th grade, you didn't have to take <laughs> I mean, maybe this is a detriment to my uh, fully rounded education, but you didn't have to take maths or science anymore. Uh, you could just do all quote unquote liberal arts. So, oh. you know, I had a I had a comedy writing uh, class in high school, which how great is that? You know, mm. you show up and you're you're writing sketch comedy or, or humorous essays. And so 
you know, that was that was a great kind of were, training. Were you, on the, were you at the Fame Academy? Is that where you were? Bob? Mm -hmm. That was uh, Mr. Shirovsky was there. You're dancing no, in the they, street, no? Dancing no, that was street. that was actually very close, <laughs> but that was right. the, the high school of performing arts. Yes, yeah. Um, okay. Which later merged with another art high school uh, called. Um, I forget, but there was one way further uh, north of Harlem, and that one merged with performing arts and became the LaGuardia School. Okay. So was it? were you published in that time? What was the first thing you got? I know. No. no. When did that come? Was that when you were at SVA? Or? Yeah. Yeah. The <clears> first <throat> year at SVA was my Bob is an asshole year. Um, <laughs> um, just had a chip on my shoulder that was so outsized. <laughs> um because i felt really resentful that first year it was like all the goodwill of, of high school was gone because suddenly now uh school is being paid for and it was a big step backwards because the first year you didn't get to jump into a major um so it was kind of a step backwards since i'd already gone to an art high school it was covering okay. a lot of ground i'd already done for the last three years but the reason I chose SVA was because Harvey Kurtzman was an instructor yes. there. Yeah. Right, and nice. Bill Eisner was an instructor there. And so was Art Spiegelman. Although the year I got into my major, I don't remember why, but Spiegelman uh, stepped away for a year, maybe to work on Mouse. Probably. Maybe. Yeah. Um, because um, Kurtzman, for those that haven't seen the, the glorious wraparound cover for your new art book that's coming from Zoop, uh in a couple of days um kurtzman's almost hovering above the crowd isn't he you've got him yes above yeah saint saint harvey there with yeah his <clears throat> yeah harvey harvey now finally to, to answer your question harvey i went from being a very lackluster student in his class uh almost instantaneously to being someone he hired uh to work on a book he was doing um Brilliant. And that was an unexpected thing because the class he was teaching turned out to be not what I expected. I just signed up because it was Kurtzman, but he was teaching gag cartoons, like single panel gag cartoons, you know, like Charles Adams would do. And I was like, why are you teaching this? To the best of my knowledge, I don't think he ever even did a single gag cartoon in his career. Okay. Um, but that's what he was teaching. I, I you know, because comics... Again, cartooning, it was the cartooning major, um, wasn't as, for lack of a better word, respectable as it's become. So I think they really thought we only need one person to teach sequential, and that was Eisner. You okay. know, we don't need two teachers teaching sequential. So Kurtzman, because he was funny, was doing gag cartoons, and I just did, I had no interest in doing gag cartoons. I just wanted to learn from the master on how to sell a joke, you know, sequentially. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We, so we was, will get we will get back to Eisner, but how did it come to you getting published by by Kurtzman and, and what was it in? Well, fortunately, he was nosy, <clears throat> which is, you know, uh, uh, in this case was a good thing um, because the work I was doing for his class, you know, was, I won't say it was lousy, but it was adequate. You know, I was not distinguishing myself. But I went to use the bathroom, and when I came back, he was paging through my personal sketchbook, which is where the work that I actually cared about was. Mm -hmm. 
And he pulled me out of the classroom and cause he said, Fingerman, we need to talk. <laughs> and he pulled me out into the hall, closed the door behind us. And he said to me, I didn't know you could draw. Christ. And it was like a gut punch because I felt like, wow, I didn't think I was doing work that was that bad. <laughs> but um, basically it went from him saying that to him saying, I'm putting together this book. How would you like to work for me? Yeah. So it really was, it was, it was kind of like the, the very low rent uh, cartooning uh, version of, of the old movie stars being discovered at shrafts in Hollywood. Yeah. You know, you you've got the look, you should be in pictures. It was, you know, you're, you're a shitty student, but you can really draw. So what was so different about the two things about your sketchbook and what you were submitting in the class? Was there something that was looser or freer or you didn't, you weren't scared to experiment or what was it? Do you think it's, it's funny because, you know, in prepping this, this, uh, that some business you're in, I've been going deep into my archives, but the one thing I didn't crack were all my sketchbooks from that era. I've got them all right. in a box. Nice. Uh, now that you've asked that, I probably should actually look in there and see if I can find some of the stuff from that SVA year sketchbook. Yeah. What was it that made Harvey? Um, a light bulb go off. Yeah. yeah. This, 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 because I was literally the only student in his class who he chose for that. And he was very, he was kind of like, this is our secret. Because suddenly right. I was, I was the chosen kid in that class where he said you know when we talk about the book we're going to meet outside of the class and you know don't tell the other students about this this is our secret and which also of course made it feel extra cool because yeah. it was so cloak and dagger which was you know kind of had a little bit of intrigue about it but yeah i, I honestly i can't answer what was in yeah. that sketchbook but i'm sure it was stuff that i was really laboring over and you know probably just had effort effort would yeah. probably have been the number one thing the stuff for his class had no effort i get you yeah so what was eisner like <clears throat> while you were there eisner was very nice i didn't connect as much uh with his class um there was more in a way there was it felt a little staid if you know what i mean um I'm not saying that he wasn't a good teacher, uh, but he was definitely of a certain era. I remember once I showed him a thing I was working on, which was about these punk rock kids. Uh, it was kind of a romance humor comic with punk rock kids. And he didn't get that the girl was a girl because she didn't have traditional like 1940s <laughs> Veronica Lake hair. You know, she had punk rock hair. And so to his credit, even though she had fairly large breasts, but he he was pointing at her and he was not being judgmental so you got to give him credit he was an older guy but he was saying okay so uh you've got this fella here uh giving the other fella flowers <laughs> <laughs> very progressive in, yeah in that yeah. moment i was just like oh this is speaking of mad this is like uh the lighter side of the generation gap you know or it's just <laughs> Kind of like, uh, Will, they're, they're, she's a girl. And it was kind of like, oh, oh, you know, but she wasn't a femme fatale. She wasn't a a knockout. You know, she was wearing Doc Martens or whatever. So, yeah. <laughs> of course, she had to be a, a fella. Yeah. 
well, we have we have uh, been talking quite a lot about breasts in your comic today. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, so, been a yeah, subject on our WhatsApp yeah. group of talking about. So we admire you, my friend. So from that sketchbook, <laughs> you're off to the races, like you know, working on like published works, etc. What was that like? You know, it's almost like going from naught to sixty. Yeah. In like half a second. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, one thing I wish I'd kept. I've had this conversation with a few people lately. The one thing I do wish I kept was a diary or a journal, however you want to call it. Uh, would have been great for filling in some gaps mm. in my memory. Um, but I know it was kind of a a three sort of a three point thing that really made me absolutely certain dropping out was the right thing to do because I was working for Harvey on the sly then in Eisner's class a former student of his this guy Pete Friedrich who turned out to be a very important uh, friend and figure in my life in fact I just realized I didn't mention him in the book I need to do that because it's actually kind of important stuff he was part of this little collective of comics, you know, people just starting out who self-published uh, magazine format, black and white uh, comics with uh, full color covers. They um, they had a little kind of publishing imprint called Look Mom Comics. And Pete was editing a thing called Pure Entertainment. And Pete basically would come to Eisner's class as a talent scout. He was, you know, he had been a student. He'd come visit Will, say hi, and then he would kind of pace the room and look at the desks, see what people are working on. Uh, again, see nosiness launches careers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he saw what I was up to. I think he might have even, I might be wrong. I'd have to ask Pete this, um, but he might have even asked Will, like, who, who's like who's doing interesting work in here. But at any rate, he, he and I struck up a conversation and a friendship and so he also asked me to contribute to his magazine uh, which i did and then the third thing was one of those extracurricular things that i was working on not for harvey but while i was in harvey's class i did a full color very rendered three page i hesitate to call it a parody but my version of a parody but very very puerile parody <laughs> of the popular hyper violent italian uh comic wankserox uh, of course yeah yeah and so i did this thing wankserox just for fun <laughs> and a friend of mine who uh where was he from bristol he was from bristol okay uh my friend rob hingley who was also the front man of the ska ska band the toasters he worked he was a basically a transplant from the original forbidden planet to be one of the people to run the new york uh version of it forbidden yeah. Planet, which yeah. was also hugely important to my development Okay. as a comic artist and also that was kind of the nexus of my meeting other people who did comics professionally you know that was sort of the place to go if you were into comics especially comics that weren't the run of the mill because they had a european section they had 
a British comic section. That's where I did start seeing 2000 AD type stuff and and really took to that for all the the capes and tights didn't do it for me. But when I saw 2000 AD, I was like, okay, I'm having that. Oh, nice. And, yeah. uh, and they also had tons of French stuff. So I was able to get, you know, the, the, the humanoids books and the Glenat books and Delacorte and all that. It was like, I was just spending every cent I didn't have on books there. And then because I was an artist and was my, my ethics were not quite as, as, uh, uh, formed as they should be i started doing a lot of barter there you know i would do <laughs> art everyone who worked there seemed to be in a band so it was like sure i'll do flyers for your band and then they would give me free merch you know so, oh nice because music's so, played a big part in your your work for years isn't it you know you're always at gigs i mean the framed piece i've got that you kind of give me is a band you know hmm. you, it, it's a massive part of not only music in the comics but also the look of people there's a there's a certain punk leather aesthetic to a lot of people and stuff like that isn't there yeah. i think so i think so uh yeah i mean it's it's it, it's it's again it's it's part of the, the the fabric of life especially i think it for me at least it's diminished a little bit as i've gotten older but when i was young you know it was constantly music blaring mm. um but uh, you know, podcasts at a certain point kind of replace <laughs> yeah. music. audible or something. We've all got yeah. old, haven't we? Yeah. 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 yeah, certainly for artists, isn't it? Like because they're they, there's the conversation in the room, isn't it? While you're working, it feels like you're in king and stuff. Yeah, yeah. it feels a bit a bit less lonely. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, Would you mind if we just re rewound a bit to SVA because I do find it um, fascinating that school because it comes up so much in conversations about. The history you know the, the 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 groundwork that was done in comics um was there anyone in in your class who sort of, i know for example david massa kelly teaches there now doesn't he and all these sort of people is it was there anyone in your class or contemporaries who are now you're still in contact with and are working in comics or anything like that all right here's bob you're making the a face here we go bob, bob <laughs> the asshole part two chapter <laughs> <laughs> that's the name of the episode sorry. <laughs> okay right. i'm okay with that uh, <laughs> I was such part of it was being uh, a, an elitist swine <laughs> and part of it was wanting I just knew that I wanted to be as good as I possibly could be and part of my game plan for that was I wanted to be friends with whoever I thought was the best in the class because it would make me up my game because okay. it would bring out that competitiveness. If I That's thought, okay, oh, yeah. I'm the best in the class, if anything, it's not like I would have worked less hard, but I didn't want to be complacent. But if there were other students whose work I thought left me in the dust a little bit, I thought, oh, I have to I have to work harder. I have to do better. I have to impress them. It was so there were a couple, but only a couple of students at SVA in the cartooning department whose work I was really impressed by. And fortunately, they both turned out to be really good guys. So it was like, and by the way, when I say good guys, when you're talking 1983, which is what this would have been, I don't even think there was a, there were any female students okay, in the cartoon wow. right um and if there was and i'm not remembering apologies to <laughs> to whoever she was but i'm saying that person and if there was one i think i would remember yeah because, 
Mm. He would have stood out like a sore thumb. Yeah. Um, it was very male. Comics was, that was, you know... Uh, by the way, speaking of things that contribute to being the angry young man, when there's zero in the de possible dating pool, <laughs> <laughs> you've got a lot of hormones going around your yeah. body and no place to put them. Um, <laughs> it's just like, oh, this is this is horrible. This is horrible. No wonder Will thought that, you know, uh, it was the one guy courting the other. <laughs> it's like prison, you know, you're just you're just in there with all these other frustrated creeps. But anyway, <laughs> um, so this is where I, I say Bob the asshole. I don't remember anyone. I don't remember anyone except for the the, the two two friends I had. Um, okay, because yeah. I really was just kind of like, yeah. Because also I've never been a kind of a group hang person. Generally, mm. I, I generally when I hang out with people, it's one or two at a time. Because then you can have a kind of a rounded conversation it's not a bunch of you know people that yeah. makes it more difficult to actually kind of connect to me yeah dinner's better than a party sometimes mm. isn't it you know to get into the mm. conversation I, I agree man yeah completely yeah. okay it, it well just like, it was an interesting like area work and the projects were what took you in a certain direction and if you're working on something that no one else can know about this that's naturally leading you away from like the rest of the class and you're you're you don't want to put people's and... nose out joint are you yeah. as well yeah, yeah. So yeah. it got to the point where you were you were leaving. I mean, you were sort of, I guess, as an illustrator and as a comic maker and a cartoonist, you're you're kind of only as good as your next job. But you're also a self-creating industry. Sorry, mate, you put you, you something oh, else. Oh well, yeah. yeah. I just yeah. I just wanted to wrap up the, the of course. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Because the Wanksrox thing is actually, in a way, the most consequential. Well, no, it's okay. not the most. Hertzman one is the most consequential. Uh, but the Wanksrox one was the most consequential in terms of me dropping out. Because right. I might have stayed because of the Kurtzman thing and maybe a little bit longer. I still don't think I ever would have graduated. But I did this this parody of Ranksorox and showed it to my friend Rob, who I mentioned, who worked at Forbidden Planet. Hmm. Rob knew Tonino Liberatore, the artist of Ranksorox. Wow. So he said, can you make uh, color copies of this so I can send them to Tonino? I said, sure. So back in those days, getting color photocopies was a little more difficult and they looked pretty lousy, but I made a set. He sent them to Tonino. Tonino loved them. They made him laugh out loud. And he showed them to his editor, a guy named Fursheed Baruka, who was a very big editor in uh, the French comic scene. And Tonino at that time, I don't think this is speaking out of school he was not delivering art as reliably as he had been for a while so Fursheed in a way saw an opportunity in me to kind of fill in the gap of rank people who wanted ranks rocks without it being Tonino by commissioning me to do a whole book of wanks rocks parody strips and so at 19 years old on just on the cusp of 20 I'm getting a contract from a very notable French publisher to do a book. Wow. And at that yeah. point I'm like, yeah. okay, I don't want to stay yeah. in school. I can anymore. see why now, man. I'm yeah. out. Yeah. You know, I mean my head got very big, you know, it's kind of like, <laughs> oh, I I uh I only learned a term. This is a very Hollywood term, but I only learned this term about a year ago. But you know, when somebody kind of turns their nose up at you you're big timing them. And I'm sure I big timed some people hmm. with like, <laughs> I'm out. 
Uh, <laughs> it's like they, but, you know, you know, you hear like sports people are like, well, you can get signed by the big team now, or you can stay at school, but there's you might not get that opportunity again. Yeah. It's that it's almost like that, isn't it? Taking a chance, mm. yeah, and it did, yeah. you know, it didn't pan out the way I thought it would. The book never came to completion because I think I did either five or six of these like little four-page type strips. Um, but working internationally in 1984 was a nightmare. Yeah, um, getting paid was a nightmare. Um, you know, everything back in those days, of course, you, you'll remember long distance phone calls were yeah. Yeah. prohibitively expensive. You literally talk for, you know, 10 minutes and your bills like $60 or something. <laughs> so it, it, it ended up becoming uh, kind of a nightmare. Uh, the strips were supposed to have been done for the French magazine Le Code Sivan. Um, the first one ran in one of those when when they decided to make that magazine a weekly instead of a monthly and do it almost more tabloid size. Uh, but then that was the only one that ran in that magazine. And then it started just kind of trying to find a home for it in these other French comic magazines that were very adult because it was filthy. Uh, <laughs> so it just ended up getting dragged on for years. And at that point, I had lost all interest in it and would, you know, moved on to other things. So, you know, there's no book of it, which is both too bad and also kind of good, because really they are looking at those strips again. It was like, wow, these are gnarly. <laughs> there was one. It's funny, though, and I, I, I'm on the fence about putting it in that some business you're in, because there was one panel uh that Tonino didn't like the way I drew it. And he ended up redrawing it himself and gluing it over mine. And it's a great drawing because it's it's Tonino. Tonino, you know, as, as talented as as debatably I was at that young age, I was not a, you know, patch on on how brilliant he was. So to have this drawing glued over mine, I kind of want to put it in the book, but it is so outrageously pornographic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That I don't know. I'm like, I'm torn. Maybe that becomes one of those stretch goal extras, you know, for people. Yeah, good shout. Yeah, you'd meet that go. The book, you get to look yeah. behind the curtain because yeah. it's it's just a close up of Wank Sirox's erect dick knocking the top of the head off of we've all been of, there. A, yeah. of a female <laughs> version of him. It's an amazing <laughs> drop. <laughs> well. Rose, so, I, if that I, doesn't I'm, tantalize people, I don't yeah. know what will. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know we've only got you for a certain amount of time, Bob, so I want to roll my sleeves up here and talk a little bit about, as you well know, I think I told you this, when I retired, my boss, you got a mention in my leaving speech because we'd been out to dinner. Do you remember? And um, he'd he'd uh, he'd, le he'd learned, I think you told him that you worked for a magazine called Screw. Is that oh, right? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you, you do dabble in, I suppose... It, erotic with a small e i'm gonna say you know there's a comedic quality to it isn't there you know and, i think and, it's 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 not erotic with a small e it's filth with a capital f <laughs> <laughs> so how did you find your way into that one i know i mean i know minimum wage isn't literally you but there's there's a there's certain parallels and things happen in that where you have this magazine guy you go and work for him and you discuss it and then there's the woman you work for as well isn't there um how did that all start how did you get into that was that off the back of the foreign work 
No. Um, well, again, this is this is where, you know, because at a certain point, I was cutting my teeth just to go back to influences, you know, heavy metal debuted uh, the magazine. And that was everything to me. And there was such freedom in the work. And there was, you know, very sexually um, frank, shall we say, you know, seeing Corbin and Dan and, you know, you've got all this stuff going on and all the French people and and then seeing underground comics, underground comics, once I finally kind of dove in and I was probably a bit too young. I was starting reading those when I was still in junior high. I had that one cooler friend who, you know, the, the cool friend who's onto the stuff that you don't know about. And he showed crumb me and, crumb and everything like that. I'm guessing was it? Oh yeah. 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 I remember <clears> being <throat> in the, in the one class that I, one art class at, at in junior high, uh, he and I would sit at the, uh, kind of the, the, um, outcast table and under the table, he would show me like snatch and zap <laughs> and all these things that I was definitely shouldn't have been looking at. But they did let me, these are all the things that kind of let me know comics don't need to be in, stay in one lane. They can be whatever, you know, and you can do whatever you want. You can be as adult as you want. You could be as stupid or smart or this or that. These were, you know, these are things where when you're a kid, you don't know. It's like, can you do this? Is it, is it permitted, you know, or so when I was working for Cracked Magazine, which was the, you know, low rent knockoff of MAD. Uh, which is the first regular gig I had was working for Cracked for several years, which was good because it really got my um, work habits really uh, shaped up. But there's something about doing work that has to be G-rated that in my brain made me say, I must do the most antisocial filth (laughs) uh, in my personal time. So, you know, <laughs> in already, art wise, yeah, art wise, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I wasn't, I was, yeah, I'm glad you made that distinction. No, I've always, <laughs> been a, I've always been a pretty white bread, button down kind of person in real life, but you know, on paper, you, you get it all out of your system. Uh, it's you know, people always say when they meet horror authors, oh, I was expecting this ghoul and he was the nicest person. It's like, yeah, you get your demons out on paper, yeah. Um, yeah. so. This is where, you know, sometimes my aspirations and where I actually ended up definitely diverged. I would love to have worked for classier publications. And in those days, you would go around with your portfolio of samples and you'd leave it with some receptionist. And at the end of the day or the next day, you'd go pick it up and you never even knew if anything got looked at. Yeah, you know, right. there were tricks. Yeah. I think speaking of Dan Klaus, I think he has an anecdote that he told about how he would put like a hair, like he'd tape a hair. And if the hair got snapped or something, he could tell the portfolio had been opened. You know, that yeah. kind of thing was like. But I will say, you know, all the quote, the, the respectable publications I went to, uh, my skill set probably wasn't up to snuff yet so when you get rejected and rejected and rejected and rejected by every place you want to work and you want to make a living you go to the low-hanging fruit and the low-hanging fruit were men's magazines as they you know euphemistically call them and you know my skill set there was kind of above 
what was being presented. So it was not good enough for like the New York Times or or, you know, this magazine or that one. But for <laughs> but for jugs or, or <laughs> high society yeah. or, you know, whatever. Dan's, Dan's already on eBay. By the way, as soon as you <laughs> yeah, said that yeah, word, yeah, yeah. let's go. <laughs> yeah. But well, that's, that's an essential sort of like learning, though, isn't it? I mean, I mean, the subject matter aside, skill in some of those comics. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. also to be not to be crass, but to be pragmatic. The pay was so much better than regular comics. I okay. did some just for when I was writing uh, the text for um that some business you're in i did one of those things where you know you adjust for inflation something then versus something now and for the work i was doing for this one publisher in today's dollars i was getting paid well over a thousand a page and comics was not paying anywhere near that you know so i could for the minimum effort you know i worked hard on the strips but really if you're only doing like six pages a month and you're getting paid that well a i had time to draw my own stuff Mm. and b i had time to just kind of go live a life and have fun you know and and actually have money to to pay my rent and go see bands or you know this or that and it's sort of inadvertently feeding what comes next, isn't it? Because you're living that life that then you can draw experiences yeah. on to then put into the work that you're going to yeah, do in the future. That was, yeah, I was living all that life before I had any aspirations of doing anything even remotely <clears throat> autobiographical, whether it's you know fictionalized or not. But mm. yeah, you got to live your life. Um, that's it makes the, the work thing. richer, doesn't I, it? That's what we talk about a lot. You know, you got to have had a life to write about a life. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, you know, there are people <clears throat> who become, I forget who it was, there was there was some comic person I knew who referred to himself as an art monk. And I thought, I don't admire that. <laughs> 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 because he was, but he, by his own admission, it was like he would sit in his room and he'd work and go to sleep and work and go to sleep. And it's like, don't you do anything? Like, do you go out and not really? Okay. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta go out there and do some. Yes, yeah. I mean, you know? living. We we love minimum wage, man. I mean, you know, I love it. It's I'm, it's my my favorite comic. It's so good. Is that what started around okay. that time? So the experiences from your life and your dating life and your relationship and your sort of crazy friends. Um, did, well, minimum it, wage had to come from doing stuff that I didn't really like. Okay, to, to kind of get there. Yeah. Uh, or I won't, even if, even maybe saying didn't like isn't quite the right way of putting it, but I had to try some things to see what was a good fit and what wasn't a good fit. I think that's a better way of putting it. Um, because, you know, at a certain point, you know, I'd been putting, Fantagraphics had done that little offshoot Eros comics. That was a way for me to kind of, you know, I, it's funny, you know, at, at my present age, looking at where my head was at when I was younger, you know, I was on, on the cusp of 26 and I still didn't have a solo comic of my own. And I thought, this is ridiculous. What am I doing with my life? You know, 26, it's like, my God, you're still a kid. But it was very important to me. And again, the low hanging fruit 
and the expedient thing was to do some collections of the the stuff I'd been doing for the men's magazines and then I had other stuff but I wanted to do something more acceptable and I don't remember here's again where I wish I had a diary and I even tried to research this and I couldn't there are gaps in this there's a memoir component to that some business you're in um but I don't really remember how I came to be doing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for the Archie imprint. You'd think, you'd yeah. think I would remember that because yeah. it was yeah. kind of important. Some I know whoever it was who brought me into the fold liked my Eros stuff. It, that much I remember. And they could see that I could draw. It wasn't like, oh, this guy mm -hmm. can only draw so-and-so. So... You know, I did Turtles for a three-issue three run, and then I did a, a kind of a one-off thing, and I knew it wasn't for me. It was like, okay, this is, this is, I'm glad I did it, but I don't really think it's, it's right for me. Um, was there learnings in the format going from like, you know, six sort of pages to, you know, longer form issues and things like that? I'm guessing less panels per mm. page as well for Turtles maybe now the turtles well no they were pretty pretty jammed the other thing is right. i didn't write it and that was i think my first experience executing you know a pretty long story that i didn't write and truth be told i didn't think it was a very good story so that that uh -huh. took some of the fun out of it uh for me um so there was that and then i started at that time i was also beginning to work for dark horse and doing little short things and uh, started doing some cover work because uh, I was painting in those days. And that led and I had oh, I had also done some short stories for heavy metal in the uh, late 80s. So that got me my first what became my first graphic novel, uh, which was serialized as four issues for for Dark Horse called White Like She. Yeah. And yeah, again, cool. it was a great experience. Um, but I learned how I didn't want to work. It was like I was trying to do something very different than I normally did. I ended up becoming very photo reference reliant on that one. And like all the central, like all the principal characters were modeled by real people. And I was doing this inking technique that was very, very kind of rigid. And so when I was done with that, I thought, oh, I never want to do that again. And that's where minimum wage came from. Okay. Minimum wage was, was <laughs> I was just about to turn 30. And I thought, I want to enjoy doing comics. Like mm. I've kind of reached a point where I'm doing them, but I don't enjoy doing them. Mm. And I thought, what can I do that I'll enjoy that will be meaningful in some way? Because I also thought everything I've done is <laughs> superficial, maybe. Well, you know, I mean, all the sex comic stuff was pretty superficial. But, you know, White Like She, if anything, got on its uh, soapbox a little too much. And I thought, I just want to do something I can connect with. And I remembered something. <laughs> it was th these are the things that live in your head that end up becoming um 
motivational speaking without it being intended as motivational speaking. Mm -hmm. um, my first wife, uh, when I was working for heavy metal and doing all that kind of stuff, she really wanted to put me in my place. She was frustrated with me. She had quite a temper. Um, and she said, all your work, basically the superficial thing, she's like, all your work is just escapist shit. And she's like, real artists put themselves into their work, you know? And it was, so that lived in my head for a number of years. And so when I was at this kind of crossroads, I thought, she's right. I'm okay. going to, I'm going to do something. And I'm, but I was like, I wasn't, I didn't want to do pure autobiography because mm. then you can't massage the story to make it either a little better or you can't omit things. You know, it was like, what can I do that feels true that, but isn't a hundred percent true. And that was minimum wage. So, you know, the stuff in it that probably feels the realist probably is the realist. I mean, right. there's something, you know, there's some things in there that, especially in the, in when I brought it back in the image run, there's stuff in there that's a hundred percent fiction. Um, but I think by that point, my writing skills had gotten good mm. enough that it felt real. Cause mm. I know people said to me who I knew very well said, I didn't know you did this or this. And I said, I didn't. And they were like, right. Oh, good job. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, well, we, we'll have to be careful as to asking you which is real yeah. and which is not at this yeah. point, I guess. But well, uh, I mean, yeah. one thing I will ask, because we're process junkies on here, and we always like to ask creators how their work is. And of course, you're writing for yourself and drawing for yourself. Um, do you write full script or is it notes? I mean, some people just write on the page, literally, as they're drawing. I mean, what's your process like? Yeah, no, writing on the page was how I did it when I was a kid and didn't know better. And, there, you know, there was something fun about that because mm. you, you really are just digging yourself into a hole, which also explains why I have a lot of strips I started as a kid that are unfinished. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I don't know how to end this. OK, and it goes in the pile. Um, no, I, I write in a very disciplined way. I, I outline kind of a brief little synopsis outline. Uh, and then I write a full script. I write for myself as if I was writing for somebody else. Oh, right. Very detailed panel descriptions. Okay. Because among okay. other things, I don't rely on me remembering when I get to the point where I'm executing the art, all the little details that I'm going to need. So I do the very detailed script. Then I do a little, you know, very simple thumbnail sketches of the pages just to kind of work out the visual flow. Mm. And also give me a little bit of an idea of where the dialogue placements are going to be. Because as all of you would know, I have a tendency to write a lot of dialogue. <laughs> Maybe well, what you too do much. Write is you write a lot of back and forth between characters, don't you? Yeah. Which I th it works lovely. But you do include lots of layered balloons and stuff like that, don't you? you know? Yeah. Yeah. If I, if I were <clears> to critique <throat> myself, and I think I'm getting better at it, but I, I might overwrite. Seems pretty naturalistic to me, man. I've got to tell you. Yeah. Um, I hope so. Yeah. We do feel that of everyone in the room, it was probably would be Dan who would ring you and fart down the phone, though. So <laughs> that is. <laughs> Hoping not suffering the same accident. Hoping not shit on the bed. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah. unfortunately, that's not, yeah, that's not made up. <laughs> oh, amazing. Amazing. Um, but to the book itself, like like you said, you, you mentioned it's uh, almost 
become a sort of memoir in some kind of ways. What kind of process has it been like to look on like your career as cartoonist and comics and like I say, you must be rediscovering things and you know And as a novelist, we haven't even touched on the books you the novels you've written as well, man, you know. There's a lot going on there. Yeah, well, you know, try for a lot of things and you know, see what sticks, what doesn't stick. Yeah. Um when you say memoir, do you mean the 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 book art I'm book. writing Yeah, yeah, or the art book. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, just the art book. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it must be sort of fascinating. Like, what what made you decide like to do a sort of retrospective of your career and everything you, you've done Because so far? behind the scenes, when we were chatting to Zoop, God, it's about a year ago now, um, I think one of us said, oh, have you ever spoke to Bob if you're out that way? And they went, yeah, we have. Can't say any more. So I know it's been sort of bubbling away for a while, isn't it? Who? How did, did they come to you first or did you go to them or? Mm. <laughs> uh, I, I approached them because my friend Dan Panosian uh, was doing something with them. And I, I, you know, I, I was very interested in the idea of what on the surface is a very traditional publisher, but that's doing crowdfunding to, you know, do their books. So because I knew I wanted to do this, you know, as, as you're facing these kind of milestones, 40 years working professionally, that's a pretty big milestone. That's amazing. And, you know, the thing that's, you know, my my little ha ha funny joke was, it's like, well, you know, I started when I was two, but, you know, I'm also going to turn 60 this year, which is shocking Wow. to me. It's like, how, that, how did that happen? Um, I, I'm not going to say the cliches, you know, there's always these cliches of people when they're when they're going to reach certain ages where well, I still feel like a kid. I don't feel like a kid. But I also don't feel like what, you know, traditionally, I think the number 60 Yeah. is supposed to be, Mm. I'm you almost know. there myself and I feel exactly the same way. Yeah. And There's still a bit yeah. of Peter Pan going on here somewhere, you know. Yeah. Well, I, you know, Val and I talk about this where it's like there is something to be said for, in a way, when you when you kind of get to indulge being. immature and liking things that you know society tells you maybe you're not supposed to like after a certain age it think it does kind of keep you young in a way it keeps you a little bit nimble because you've among other things you want to keep up with current trends you know there's there's there is traditionally a tendency to atrophy at a certain age where you check out you're like i don't like anything new I only like, you know, and you're always backwards facing instead of forward facing. Yeah, Tony, he's And talking I think. he's talking directly to you, Tony. <laughs> I just feel like You've made him say this, haven't you, about me? This is definitely <laughs> a... <laughs> this is an intervention, basically. <laughs> but the thing is, it's like if you're going to do stuff that feels relevant, you have to be kind of plugged into the world around you. And, you know, you pick and choose because the truth is uh, I don't like. I particularly don't like false nostalgia of how everything always used to be so great. Everything's always, every era of every, since man began, there's been good stuff and bad stuff. It's just the way it is. There's amazing stuff now, and there's stuff that's beyond belief how bad it is. But, you know, if you pick and choose, there's always really cool stuff going on. So, you know, turning, turning this age...
I think it's only going to really the numbers only really going to matter if I you know become you know the the classic Abe Simpson old man yells at cloud you know <laughs> I I I don't want that to happen I don't think it has to happen but to go back to your question about the memoir angle hmm. um it has been a weird thing because I'm talking right now I'm doing this <laughs> pontificating about yeah. looking forward but the nature of doing this book is looking backward. Mm. I mean, we can see you remembering with, with stuff as we talk to you. Yeah. Yeah, we really can. Yeah. Mm. And it's a weird thing, though. I've been, fortunately, I've been very good about keeping almost everything, you know. I mean, I'm not including artwork I've maybe sold or given away over the years, but, like, I've got all the stuff I did when I was a kid. I've got all the stuff I did when I was in school. And... I'm confronting things because, again, when when as much water has flowed under the bridge as it has, I'm finding things I don't even remember having done, you know, yeah. where mainly student era stuff, you know, once it became. But even there, there's jobs, you know, especially when it's jobs you're not particularly engaged by. I'm finding things that I did where I'm like. I guess I did this. <laughs> it looks yeah. like I did it, there but uh, I don't there's remember a certain... it. There's a certain uh, element um, people say like food is you your memories are sort of mm -hmm. aligned to that. I find and it, you must have had this so much with what you've been doing is looking through an old sketchbook or an old like piece of art, and all of a sudden, just even if it's not, you don't remember where it's come from. There's an emotional attachment sometimes that that comes with like seeing a piece of art. And there, what have been? Have there been any moments where, you know, you've just been? I mean just smiled uncontrollably when they say we've well, written at, a yeah written yeah. a little account of something that's happened or hmm. <laughs> i don't know about the smiling uncontrollably what about the internal cringing is there any moments you don't yeah yeah, yeah. i'm the same I, man i'm the same that's more yeah. that's more like it in fact i was again when i was talking with the guys at zoop I said, I don't know if I want these to be in print because I'd really like this book to be something I enjoy. But I said, as one of the stretch goals, I would offer a PDF called the Cringe Gallery, which would be oh, yes. all the stuff where as I was looking at it, I was just like, oh, my God. This is so, awful. Um, so, you know, uh, I'm willing to kind of expose my soft white underbelly but maybe maybe not in the book uh, uh okay, yeah. unless that's like one of those sealed sections you have to peel the edge yeah. off to, to look in it um yeah it's it's uh well, so is it, it's it's out, it's out in a couple of days on zoop.gg but when people listen to this if they listen to the day release it's is it the 30th it goes live is that right the the, the funding begins yes yeah the, the book itself yeah. i'm still i'm still working on the book actually last night i hit page 120 wow okay um, i think again these are the things i have to be judicious about because i know they they say kind of parcel out the information yeah to to sort of to tease it to sizzle it in hollywood terms um i know the book at minimum will be 150 pages um i can see it going well beyond that after all 40 years is a lot of years and i want this to be the kind of book that i want you know when yeah. i get an art book yeah if it if it comes in at like 100 pages or fewer 
I think. Why are you looking wasting? For, I'm looking for part time? two yeah. if it does <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, but, you're, and you're looking at this as a one and done rather than a volume one, volume two kind of. Well, pretty much because yeah. the other thing is it's you know the next milestone is 50 years. Who knows what the world's going to be in in 50 years? I can't <laughs> wait another 10 years. We'll all be Just plugged into happens. comics. Yeah, be plugged yeah, into yeah. our it'll be, it'll be printed on human skin. Who knows? That's right. Yeah, it'll 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 be the the Necronomicon no. from even <laughs> <laughs> my actual hand leather face on the cover of the book, just saying "kill me." So um, yeah, it'll be uh, yeah. So yeah. it's going to be oversized. I'm guessing, Bob. It's um, you got any idea about the size of it yet? Yeah, it's it's uh well, see I can't do it in metric. I'm sorry, but That's it's fine. uh it's a slightly off size. It's 9 by 11, not 9 by 12, okay. but 9 by 11. I wanted a slightly squarer uh format but sort of traditional height so it doesn't bother people on their bookshelves. Um uh, And then once is... it goes live you'll be I mean, I'm sure it's going to do well. You'll then sort of discuss with Zoop stretch goals and um, extras and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. There's a bunch of stuff I'd like to do. Um, I mean, there's going to be everything from. Well, yeah, I don't know what I'm allowed to talk about. This is so funny. I've yeah. never done this before. You know, this is that thing about. Yeah. This is kind of. I think Jakin was the same with it, listening to interviews, because he's just had something with them as well, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah, I can I can see what you're saying, man. Yeah. So, but, I, you know, there's definitely going to be, I know some of it will be, well, you know, if we reach this amount, we can add another, you know, eight pages to the book, signatures of eight pages. Um, so this is where I'm hoping people will be hungry for more. And I'm just like, yeah, let's make this book, you know, <laughs> massive. Um, yeah. Uh, I know a lot of our listeners are going to be all over this. Bang into this, yeah. Yeah. Um, Are you doing... Go on, sorry, Bob. I was going to say, there'll probably be things like enamel pins. Those are a big thing these days. I know I like them, so... Um, so do I. Tony hates them, but uh, I, I like. No, them, uh, to be it. fair, if it's your drawing, I'll wear it. Oh, um, here we go. The, uh, yeah, and uh, your usual drawing. That's all I'm going to say. We'll talk about things later. The uh, yeah, but uh, are you going to do any cons and all that sort of thing as well, Bob? Are you uh, you got plans to do any of that sort of thing? I know you haven't done one for a while, have you? Mm, well. <laughs> how can I burn a bridge down? Um, <laughs> Or how thoroughly do I want to burn a bridge down? <laughs> um, I sort of toe-dipped at one actually about a month ago. Oh, did you? Okay. But, but it's mainly my fault that it really... I just... Certain cons, you realize it's a perfectly fine con. It's not my crowd, though. Yeah. So yeah. I won't name the con. It was a fairly big one. Um, but I just thought... Yeah, this is fine. And the people who are here having a great time, it's just not my crowd. I know I will not do well at this show. I can take that off the list. Uh, You know, I'd like to go back to San Diego. It's been a while. I'm sure it's oppressively huge. It was already that way. Uh, The last one I went to was 2006. So been a while. Um, But, you know, uh, in addition to doing the Zoop uh campaign to get it out there once the books are actually printed i i probably would like to do some stuff in person to support it some signing stuff yeah um, 
I still, you know, hey, I live in hope that someday a UK con will invite Well, we me keep telling them. We keep mentioning play. your name. Yeah. I mean, I can see somewhere like the Lakes or Thought Bubble loving to have you along, man. Mm. We keep mentioning it to them. Yeah. Um, I'm doing Heroes in June. That's your mm. crowd, I'd say. You'd like that. I know it's sort of the other side of the country for you, but, yeah, it's, pre it's pretty sweet crowd. And um, maybe Baltimore as well, I'm guessing. Yeah, um, there's, there's definitely some East Coast ones that I'd like to visit again, but it's just it's cost prohibitive to mm. yeah. go to something like mocha or spx or things like that the one that i i don't even know if they still do it but it's funny i'm so sometimes not very plugged into my own business uh but one of the best ones i ever went to was ape uh, in san yeah. francisco the alternative yeah. press expo <clears throat> uh that the one that i went to was great um it was also the only comic con i've ever been to where you had fresh sea air the whole day because it was in a decommissioned naval base. So oh, they right. had all the doors open. So you just had this fresh air coming in off the San Francisco Bay. It was like, oh, this is great. Fresh air at a comic convention. Bloody hell. It was yeah. <laughs> what a world. <laughs> you, need, you need those foreign rights. So we need you at Angoulême and Luca as well. They're the two. You know, get out. They they love it, man. The, the amount of art books this year at um, Angoulême has really gone through the roof. Because they have an art book for every exhibition, but mm. not just every current one. They've got one for every past exhibition. There's shelves of them. Oh, Lovely right. stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. The only two that I have are the the Corbin one and the uh, Wallace Wood. And ah, okay, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah they yeah. really I know mean, how to do it. I mean, Macron came down and opened the Wallywood exhibition. You know, it's incredible. You know, talk about loving comics out there. Amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The Drew the Drew Yeah one is nice as well. I have to say. Yeah, incredible oh. stuff. Yeah, I might have to uh, make an international order. I didn't know they did. <laughs> yeah. well, while he's spending all his money on postage, um... was, when I was a kid, I'm going to go back for one more second to childhood. No, please do. Sure, yeah. Another, another pivotal place in my development. There was a little, teeny tiny little shop called uh, Little Nemo uh, in Queens, uh, walking distance, uh, about a mile from where I I grew up. And this shop was one of those, it almost feels like a dream because, you know, he, among other things, it's always great when you have somebody who's a bit counterculture because uh, he sold me underground comics when, you know, <laughs> I looked, when I was 14, I looked 10. I mean, I was just this tiny, tiny little kid, but he was selling me Slow Death and Mr. Natural and all that because <laughs> he could tell, he felt like there was a fever where I wasn't getting these for prurient reasons or not prurient alone it was like you know he knew i had that passion but he had this flat file and he had some original druyers oh wow okay and so seeing those as a kid because druyer his artwork enormous massive yeah yeah and so he the owner of this shop a guy named joe parente he said hey kid let me show you let me show you uh something cool because I was also buying back issues of heavy metal I was back filling my collection and he pulled out these like lone Sloan pages or whatever and they were you know, like three feet high and mind-blowing you know that yeah. again is the kind of stuff where you're a kid and you just see it and say oh my god mm, this yeah. is incredible so yeah yeah still drawing as well I think still still active yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, and he's still got he's still got all the all those rings. Yeah, yeah. puts out more to shame, doesn't he? Yeah, he's got more more metal on his hand than Lemmy did. I mean, it's like, <laughs> uh... 
Well, from uh, Little Nemo's to uh, a book about talking about 40 years. We've all signed up, man. Yeah. And comics. And we can't <clears> wait for it. So stay tuned to Zoop, folks, for this. Watch our channels because we'll stick it out as soon as it comes out. Yeah, Yeah, it's already in the Slack for a sign up. People want to go on there and sign up. And can people find (laughs) more of your work and find out what find out the latest? Where can they go, Bob? Well, Instagram is probably the best um, place because I share a lot of artwork there. Um, And you know, artwork and information. Um, Instagram is probably the best place. Yeah, some nice. great stuff on there, man. I love watching your stuff on Instagram. Yeah, and you can see the cover for the new book on there. Um, Parts you... of it, I'm teasing it. Okay, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Chunk. Yes. He's been teasing this whole time, and I feel like we could talk for another five hours about your life. Yeah, Bob, man. But yeah. it's almost like this is your life. We've kept, we've kept we've you longer than we said. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, um, thank you very much, Bob. Uh, check out the book, everyone. And uh, please, yeah. thank you. And yeah, thank so you. Can't see it. Can't man. wait. Yeah. yeah, and and get hold of minimum wage as well, man. We we love that book. Yeah, demand demand to get back in print. It's all. Oh, you need print. it. Yeah. We yeah. need it back in print. Yeah. <laughs> Write to your favorite publisher and say, hey, you know what needs a needs a new printing? Yes. Yeah. Oh, what a, what a thing to sign out on. Thanks, Bob. Yeah. Bro. <laughs> and there you go. How was that? Uh, it's lovely to have Bob on it. Any great? Yeah, he's dude. Yeah. He's dude. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what people don't know is we've just chatted for about another hour. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> uh, Brilliant. Um, yeah. And we are, we have only we we I mean we say this all the time, but it's only the the tip of the iceberg and oh. uh, some. Uh, yeah. Obviously... That's the thing we're talking to someone about who's done a retrospective book of their forty year career. We tried our best to cover the yeah. the points, but yeah. even now I'm thinking, oh, we forgot to mention that. Yeah. You know, it's like that. Yeah. 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 Um, but seriously, folks, check out Zoop. Say. You know, if you're a fan of the work, or if you're not, you will be a fan of the work if you if you yeah. check out the book. Just Which, look at the cover on Instagram; yeah. it is incredible. Yeah, yeah. And uh, stay tuned because um, he's a busy man, so you never know yeah. what's be happening over the next couple of years with Bob Figman. Um, but onwards with the rest of the show. Now we got a quick shout out section. Uh, yeah. Tony, do you have any shouts? I do not have any. There's a couple. There you go. That's why I said it was quick. Into my ongoing bit. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Dan, yeah. do you have any shout outs? Yeah, I'm running the uh, fan art feb, hashtag fan art feb. I've got about half list for if you've got any original characters you want me to draw, do add them. I've got a Twitter thread going on, so I'm trying to keep it all in track in one place. Uh, Vanguard issue 22, that's starting on Wednesday. I've done all the kind of previous pages, so now we're going on to the artwork, the actual pages. We've got Lawless uh, 2024, 25th and 26th of May, Double Tree by Hilton Hotel Bristol. Uh, massive guest list, lawlesscomiccon.co.uk. Go check that one out. Nice, and yeah. uh, I've just got a quick shout out. I just want uh, Joseph Simons. I uh, saw him at the weekend. Oh yeah, it made me feel yeah. a little bit like a rock star when I walked you into the shop. And he... I've just been recognised in his shop. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And what did I say? I think this is what Taylor Swift feels like. Yeah. So I've never felt closer to Taylor Dan Swift. Dan said something we can't he repeat. He said something that can't be repeated. But I'll say it. You want? <laughs> I said I want, to, I want to experience what Taylor Swift feels like. <laughs> so, so. There we are. That was a I sexist mean, gag I, there. I, I, yeah, a li- <laughs> little bit of a sexist joke there. And uh, for the record, me and Tony tried to save his uh, <laughs> his <laughs> reputation. But, yeah, but, 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 but Dan yeah. has yeah. set fire to it. So uh, there you go. Um, <laughs> but before we get on to the recommendations, um, <laughs> Tony has just got back from his... Uh, is this going to be yearly now? Is this going to be a pilgrimage, Tony? Well, this is my... F- oh, was it my fourth? 
think third or fourth. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it does feel that way at the moment. Um, I do go, I do go along and it, like there's the traditional Thursday meal. You know, there's all these sort of things going on. The, we always go to the Indian restaurant the first night. You know, there's all this sort of thing going on with yeah. it now. But uh, yeah, so what I thought I'd put together, guys, I'm not going to do. I met this person. I did this person. Yeah, I saw yeah, this. Yeah. You know, I'm going to. What I thought there's a lot of interest. Bearing in mind, uh, there's a few people off the Slack who are there this year. So big shout out to Eamon, Eamon Clark from Mega City. Uh, listen out next Sunday. I've done like a little retrospective with him of some other stuff from the festival. Uh, Simon Russell was there. He was my buddy for the day. We wandered around, did some shopping, spent far too much. Uh, Foul P and Jordan Barry Brown were there as well, um, and who I hung out as well. And so there was there's people from our little UK-based, I suppose, community who have started going out there. And I, th- I know... I know um, like Rob Harding was saying to me, well, you know, I might go out. This, I thought I'd give some tips for people who are traveling out. Yeah. And I thought maybe as I go along, if there's any questions you want to ask yeah. about things, things I've missed, I mean. maybe we can just yeah. do that. Um, it's So I'm going to do it from the point of view of traveling from a London place. But you need to, you basically, Eurostar. So do the Eurostar. Um, it's it's fairly straightforward. It's a good couple of hours and you're you're into the center of Paris. Um, get out so you go straight into Paris Gare du Nord um, and then you right this this is very specific so if anyone wants to go next year write this down because it'll help uh, you get out of Gare du Nord and you go underneath the station two floors down you get to where the underground is the metro and you get a ticket and you take line four to uh, Paris Montparnasse <laughs> I didn't, didn't realise this could be a step by step travel yeah. fucking dog right, okay, but it, yeah. I just just because the <laughs> yeah. thing is like fortunately um, I'm with with Sam from Nobo. So I, I travelled out with Sam Arthurs and uh, Neve Jones from from Nobo, who were great company. We laughed. In fact, at one point, we got told off on the train for laughing too loudly. <laughs> um, so the, they or Sam knows, you know, he's like off like a long dog this way. But I, I was very conscious of the fact that if I ever have to do it on my own, I need to know the way to do it. And I think yeah. it is extremely straightforward if you do it properly. So if you do it like this, do not get a cab. It will take you longer. It's like 12 stops on the tube, but the stops there are like very, there are a lot of smaller distances between them than there are on the London tube. Um, okay. Beware of pickpockets on the tube. We've, we've literally, I've literally had to push people off me in the tube trying to get Fucking their hands in their pockets. Okay. They do that sort of fake crowd round you kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, well, that was um, shit. So just be, care- be careful of that. Always book in advance French trains as well. So you get on at Montparnasse and you go to Angoulême. It's about two hours. Um, and it's a double-decker train. You get to go on the top of the... I always go at the back of the bus because you get a longer ride for your money. Um, so get on the train. You can see across <laughs> the... Uh, <laughs> it's a really fast service. If there's more than two of you going, you can get something called family seats, which is two seats opposite two seats. And it's quite a social. They've got a, lovely, they've got a bar on there. They've got a cafe on there. Brilliant. They beat our trains down. You know, really good. Um this is something that people ask me a lot about festival passes. Um, I get fortunately get a pass through no barrel, but everyone was saying, when are they on sale? When are they on sale? And they don't like American UK conventions. They don't go on sale until a couple of months before the event. So you don't get to order them till then. So don't panic. If you wanted to go and you booked somewhere, they do go on sale. It's just a bit later than normal. And I think I'm right in saying if you've got a, just a normal punter festival pass, you have to go to the Hotel de Ville, which is kind of the town hall for Anglem, and you'll get it there. Um, accommodation. Uh, there is one hotel. There's a Mercure Hotel in the centre of Anglem, but it's booked out straight away by the publishers. 
yeah it's also the it's also the venue for the um thursday night casterman banquet um so there are if you look on booking.com there are other hotels but to me they look a bit like bail hostels you know they look pretty shitty they're around the train station yeah so your answer is airbnb which is an interesting one because on Glen, long before the airbnb app or system the families of on Glen would open their doors to people visiting the convention so it's a city or it's a town that is suited to the the sort of the, the way that airbnb works i will also say watch out for scammers i spotted one um that was um booking trying to trying to get people to book on both booking.com and airbnb blurry photographs only insisting on taking cash on the day looked uh. looked pretty dodge to be fair so do use some common sense when you're booking stuff there um, the festival runs Thursday to Sunday. Uh, there's not much open on the Wednesday, but if you go a day early, I'd recommend it. Firstly, you get a decent seat in a restaurant, and also you get to go to the Museum de Papier, which is their comic museum. Now, you, have you ever been to the Cartoon Museum, you two guys? Yes. I have, I have not, but I know a lot of right. our listeners. Have. Yeah, this it's it's about a thousand times larger than that. Okay. Yeah, right. Maybe a hundred times, but it's, it's absolutely brilliant. I mean, the... Hergé, Eisner, Zugay, you know, or everyone you can possibly think of. Um, it's got art from, and then it usually had sort of specialised, <coughs> me, sort of specialised exhibitions. Well, I remember they had a Hilda one, which was done out like like the, the the landscape of Hilda and stuff like that. It's an amazing museum. Um, so go and do that, and you can get in early to that one. Some of the exhibitions you'll see on the the website the the Bidion Glem website Modesto website that the um there's there's usually about 10 exhibitions elite official ones um now you won't um you won't be able to get into a lot of them until the afternoon of the Thursday and by the time it opens there's a massive queue to get in so just be careful about picking your times to go to them i think i did one of them on the friday morning last year and um even at, 9 30 there was a massive queue to get in and that's some of those exhibitions are in um, the museum de Angoulême, which is also doubles up as the natural history museum so you walk in there's loads of dinosaur bones and stuff so you have to go upstairs to find these exhibitions but you'll find that there's a lot of pop-up places so there's an awful lot of pop-up what i refer to as like a comic mart shop and you go in them and there'll be old albums old copies of lestrange um some plastic figures you know stuff like that and a couple of them had little signing decks upstairs one that okay. we went in um had a load of artists upstairs there was a, there's um there's a there's a shop that's the equivalent of john lewis and there's a dude sketching and drawing in books at the front of it you know um everywhere sells comics that's the best thing about it um there's a number of different tents the tents are themed so you've got what I would call like more like the read pop tent, which is all the big publishers, so Casterman, Soleil, Lombard, uh, all these people. That that's like a massive deal, probably the biggest tent. Then you've got what I would um, that's the something debil. And then you've got another tent which is almost like um, the Fantagraphics tent. So you go in and do you know what I mean by that? That sort of style comic. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And it's it's this long winding tent, and the further you get down, the stalls become slightly smaller, slightly smaller, slightly smaller. But it's a little bit more avant garde, a little bit more um, graphic novel, maybe I hate that term, but a little bit more that sort of thing. But in the middle of it, there'll be 
a load of guys drawing erotic comics who like with white hair and you know just fucking class acts and everyone knows them apart from us or there'll be the you know these places selling druye sketchbooks and stuff like that it's just amazing a uh, big shout out to crowdfunding our buddies have been on xavier's been on the show before um they had a stall and they were doing signings i know um i think uh Jordan and Falpy have done a signing today there. So a lot of our firm, a lot of our comics, they've got Atomic Hercules on the stall. Um, there's a lot of comics we would know. So that crowdfunding is a shop in Lille that just does small press, right. um, just specialises in small press. I mean, how lovely is that? You know, That's amazing. Uh, That's great. Yeah. And Xavier always puts a Thursday night pizza on, which I've told you the stories off, Mike, but uh, – which is by far the funnest thing I, I go to. I said to him at the end of the night, like 1am, we're standing outside this restaurant saying, it's been the best thing again. It's been just like literally the funniest thing. But it's it's funny, you know, because I had a badge on with a company on. People would like, they look at your badge before they look at your face sometimes when you're walking through right, okay. the foreign rights tent, you know, and they're like, oh, have you seen this? Like, oh, thanks, yeah. And um, I sort of hid my badge and went in, believe it or not, a kebab shop because it's the only place I could find somewhere to get a coffee. <laughs> And I'm sat in this kebab shop, and I'm like, like knackered because you easy you, if you got your step meter on, you're doing like twenty five thousand steps a day. And uh, I sat there, and two Italian guys come in, great English, and they said, "Oh, you here to read comics?" They didn't know I was there with a the publisher or anything. And they, I said, "Yeah, yeah, I'm a comic fan over from England." They said, "Oh, brilliant! Did you want to have a look at our comics?" And I thought, "Yeah, I have a look at your comics." Yeah. And a little a little shout out to Luca Baracci and David Narducci, um, and they gave me their comics, and they were brilliant really good and i just had a chat with them gave them a couple of my comics and and we chatted for a while and they've since followed us on the instagram and uh brilliant nice yeah, welcome it's just, yeah, it's, yeah it's just like that it's just like nice people the the thing you, that i really feel about with france and I, every year you know i'm like i come away massively enthused mm. by the mm. scene over there is that it's for everyone there's no gatekeeping Brilliant. Comics are literally for everyone. There's people of all ages, all sexes, mm. um, just wandering around. The love of comics is just just permeates everywhere. I mean, yeah, there was an opticians with an art art section. There's like little avant garde. You go down the back of a house, and there's someone who's turned their front room into a little exhibition space, and it's just brilliant. The whole town loves it. the The Airbnb I stayed in, people had left a load of. Um, uh, Bondesne albums in there. Nice. And people are always handing out free stuff. And have you seen this? And it it really is good. And the the, the number of the questions I come away from. I know we've got we're we're sort of limited for time today. But how I, I look at all these books, I look at them all, and I go, mm. how are these not in English? Yeah, that frustrates um, me. How quickly can I learn French? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and how do I find out when next year is? It's yeah. it's just so good. The I picked up. I've been reading a load of Thorgal. We're going to talk about it in a minute. But I've been reading a load of French translations and just looking at some of the French books. And um, I picked up. I won't name the book, but it was a Marvel book. And I went, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, back to this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it terrible, isn't it? It's yeah. bad. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> One of the things to be careful of is the French have different traditions in relation to queuing. That may well have had me kicking some bloke's bag out of the way and telling him to get to the back of the queue. I'm not saying I did that, but it might have happened. Well, um, it's very structured in in our in the, the British English society, isn't it? We're kind of yeah. renowned queuers. Yeah. Um, artists will, if you're lining up to get to get a book signed, you're going to be a while. 
because each of them draws in the book. Sometimes they paint in each book for free. Fuck. Yeah. If you go to get your book signed, some of the publishers run a system where you buy a book. I bought a book by Leo, and they said, are you going to get it signed? Here's a token. And they give you a plastic token in order to you hand that over when you get it signed. So it's almost like you can't rock up with a shopping trolley full of old books to get signed. You almost have to be one that you bought there. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, they, they're rock stars, these guys. They're, they're wandering around. They're, you know, they're, they're so well known. And as you wander through the town, little announcements are made on speakers, on lampposts about the next signing and the next event. And I stood there waiting for Eamon um, on Thursday night before we went for a meal. And they were displaying, there was, there was shining, I think it was Hugo Platt um, images onto the side of the massive town hall with music. It's just amazing. You know, it really is great. Then I said earlier, this year is uh, Canada. So every year they specialize in a country. This year was Canada. I think it was like Taiwan, I'm going to say, last year. They certainly had a big presence. Um, you were saying so that, that we, I know we don't have loads of time on it. Maybe you hmm. covered it on the, the NIA episode that's got coming up. Oh, it's a Mega City. Mega City. Mega City. When's yeah. that one out? Yeah. Uh, Sunday. Yeah. Sunday. Okay. So uh, their attitude to mangas kind of softened, you said. Very much so, man. Last yeah. time you were like, it was hardcore. We're not going to let manga get a foothold in. Yeah, that was a few times ago. They basically, they, I think even before I started going, they had a meeting to say, how can we stop manga going into the country? But I shared on the Slack and with you guys the um, sales charts, and it goes like Asterix, another French book. One piece, one piece, one piece, one piece. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, they're, they're mad for it. They're, I didn't get to the manga tent because it was the other side of the train station, but it's it's it looks like a they've built a big Japanese fortress and inside is all the manga stuff. Yeah, it was massively busy. Oh, man, why can't we have this in this fucking country? I know, man, yeah. Um, and just the last thing to say is finally um, an, a British person has won the Grand Prix. Yes. Uh, which is the massive prize. So there was three people up from to one it, Dan Klaus and Elizabeth Maurice, who's a, a, a sort of bit younger um, graphic novelist over there. And finally, Posey Simmons won it. She wasn't there. I think I don't think she was very well. Not seriously unwell, but I don't think she was there. And Dan Klaus um, was in Paris, but um, he'd announced that he had COVID, so he had to. He never made it to the festival either. But uh, I actually had Dan on my dance card as winning that oh okay fair enough yeah i actually had clouds yeah. on my dance card and i didn't think posey would win it because i didn't think she had substantially enough stuff in recent years but it's as i understand it the grand prix is for a lifetime work right um and then she's she's very they're very fond of her in france mm-hmm. um she's i think she's all i think she's lived there for a while and stuff so yeah so it's good news that posey if you look at down the tubes i think john's put something out there today so you can have a read of it yeah good stuff Amazing. so yeah Go to it. It's not super expensive. Food isn't that expensive. Um, gra- the the albums you're going to buy are not expensive. You know, for a book that probably would cost you twenty five quid over here, yeah, it's going to be twelve yeah. ninety nine or something over there. Yeah. Um, and just just to love of the medium, man. Like, I just sat I sat at dinner on Thursday night with people who are not in, you know they they they're trying their best to speak in English, and all we did was talk about our, our favorite Bronze Age creators. And I had a chat with Xavier about his favorite Carmine Infantino She-Hulk issues, and it's just brilliant stuff, man. Just love it. It's just, you go to a lot of festivals in the UK, and these people ain't read comics. No. Yeah. yeah. What's so, 2000 yeah. AD? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, yeah. So have a think about it. Book ahead. Um, beware of scammers uh, and uh, if you follow my uh, dot to dot uh, directions you'll be able to get to Anglen very easily 
There you go. <laughs> Amazing. Safety nice one, tip. T. Safety yeah. and travel tips. That's what you didn't think you, you were going to get on this show. But we give you everything, <laughs> as well as uh, as well as well a lot of comic talk. So, and speaking of comics, <laughs> it's that time of the show where we're going to... Re- well, I don't know why I laughed then. That sounded so cheesy. Proper partridge, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> it's time to... You know I love it when it goes partridge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's time to recommend uh, some comics your way. Um, let's mix it up. Dan Butcher. Yeah. Can it go to me? Yeah. yeah okay. Well, I've got a web. I've got a web teams that I've had in my kind of to read file, and uh, I've got round to, to sort read of reading file. It. You know, it's that ten. Yeah. I've got file. like yeah. on the bookmarks bar. There's a web comics to read, and there's there's about thirty odd titles there. Some I've read haven't. <laughs> some I've read. And this one's called uh, the the Horizon on Webtoons, and it's done by a chap who just goes by the uh, JH. So I don't know anything about them. And it's only two episodes, which is a bit, bit. It's unfortunate, but it's kind of. It starts off a story, but it kind of cuts out short, and it's pretty harrowing from the get go. It's a drama, so as with webtoons, you scroll down. And it starts off with a boy, uh, and like a lot of uh, manga or anime, the first few cells, would you call them, or frames, they're yeah. in color, like watercolor, and then it cuts to black and white. And it begins with some horrific event that you're not quite sure what's happening, where the mother puts her little boy in like this shelter uh, to stop this whatever's going to happen happening. And as he comes out, all the people have been absolutely like massacred, and it's page after page of him kind of looking around, all these kind of dead bodies looking for his mum. And when he finally does come across her, it's a well done effect. She's kind of on the floor, and the artist has scribbled out her face. So you can't see, okay. like it's it's so horrific what's happened to it. This the way this kid's sort of seeing it, and from there it kind of it details him going off and trying to sort of make sense of the world. And in part two, he he meets up with a girl very similar to his age. They've only got to be about like six or seven, and they're kind of thrust into this world where it's absolutely horrible. Something awful's gone, and there's like not only a civil war, but sort of humanity seems to be sort of utterly fading and this <laughs> i was kind of relieved in a way because in the second one like you see this sort of friendship uh and bond coming between these two kids when they encounter like a bit of a crazy guy who is not he, he seems to be traumatized by it and when he sees her as water he snatches off him and drinks them all and it's just following them around and they sort of say well we've got to leave this guy because we don't know what he's going to do. So they, he falls asleep and they kind of run off. But yeah, so there's only two episodes. And I was like thinking, this is being set up for one of them to, to die. Like this whole series is about traumatizing the reader and right. that setup. So when it ended, when both characters are alive, I was like, fine, they're fine. They live happily for often. And in, <laughs> in my head, I don't have to see that that build up of these two characters and one of them losing the other. Do you know what I mean? Were you genuinely concerned about that then? (laughs) Well, yeah, because like, I I don't know, it's kind of, you you see like two kids like fending to themselves and out in this horrible environment. And you just think this is going to go really wrong. It's just going to go wrong. And then because they, they've stopped telling the story, it's, I get a bit of a sort of a barefoot gen feel about the thing. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And just having the ending, it, the story finished. I was that <laughs> I've stopped myself from that potential trauma. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, go check that out. It's, it's, it's not a long read, as we've all with webtoons. Uh, it's called The Horizon. Uh, so look at it, mate. It looks great. Mm. Yeah, yeah, 
Nice. It's uh, it's a comic that can feel like a, a lot of webtoon comics. It can only be told on webtoons. Yeah, I'm not sure yeah. if this would work in a book, but because there's like long panels, but they've done them vertically, which doesn't really kind of work for me. But that's that's what you got. Yeah. So interesting. Check that that's one me. out. Uh, I'm going to jump on quickly with a uh, recommendation for um, people to see. I want to know what people think about this or if they've heard more about it. Um, this is a shared universe that is coming to Image. Um, it's Ghost Machine. It's the one shot from Ghost Machine, which came out um, last last week, actually. It was one of the new releases. Um, I'm counting this as an issue one, even though it's a one shot. Um, it was three seventy nine, but it is like sixty pages. This was digital, is the way I got it. Um, glorious work, but what is it? Um, for those who want to know, well, Ghost Machine, as they say, I'm not going to read out the whole um, speech that they've written, but it is the first fully shared creator-owned universes, which is called Ghost Machine, and uh, essentially is a they say creators you know, characters you'll love. Welcome to Ghost Machine. Now, I'm just going to read out a list of the creators. And you you can see that um, these are people that have got some chops. Uh, Jason Fabok, Gary Frank, Brian Hitch, Jeff Johns, Lamont McGee, Francis Manipal, Brad Meltzer, Ivan Rice, Peter Schneisberg. Have I, have I got that right? I probably murdered that. Sounds about right, man. Uh, yeah. Peter yeah. J. Tomasi, Matel uh, Schutt, uh, Brad Anderson, colorist, uh, Rob Lair's the letterer. Um, GhostMachinePro.com. That's a hell of a lineup. That is a, that is a hell yeah. of a lineup, and it's a it's a group of different characters, individual characters or, t- or teams and stuff that they're, they're creating a new like shared universe. Um, these are characters from all genres. Of they they say um, there's an un, there's a universe called the Unnamed featuring uh, Geiger, which I know is a book you've read, Tony. Yeah, I was on my pull list, Geiger. Yeah. Um, Junkyard Joe and Redcoat. And that, that was one of my favourites from last year, Junkyard Joe. Yeah. Brilliant. Nice. Yeah, really good. Uh, and Redcoat. Um, there is uh, the sprawling sci-fi saga of Rook, the family Odysseys and the Rocket Fellas and their friends. And there's also a horror universe with uh, Hyde Street. Now, there's... Um, within this book, and this, this reminds me, reading this, it reminds me of... Um, those heady days of image in the 90s or those sort of like when new publishers are, are bringing out stuff and this is almost a taster of what's to come um but it is still 60 pages of actual comic content um i think these might be um the first few pages of each issue uh, oh, okay. all, all of these right. different stories they've got <clears throat> um character profile pages um for geiger junkyard joe the northerner redcoat and like there's pages explaining um, series. I mean, the one that's looks Rook Exodus is one of the ones that's um, captured my imagination. That's like a sci-fi set on a planet, and people with that wear these helmets that means they they control animals. It's it, it looks crazy, but at the same time they're running around with like double guns and shooting every, everything. Um, and so you see character designs, some cool advertising. That, but of all genres, you've got like the the stuff that would really appeal to those 90s image kids that were in a lot of us. There seems to be some uh, family-friendly stuff, as well as um, there's a book that looks um, really fun called Hornsby and Halo, who are like, it's, they're about two kids, like a, um, a boy and a girl. 
the boy is like the son of angels and the girl is the daughter of devils but they sort of swapped parents so so the angel child was brought up by the devils and and so it's i think there could be some it, it looks quite fun that book um taking that sort of um idea and there's and hyde street is something where i think it's different horror stories and scenarios and lots of different because at different places in the world will have their own hyde street um a lot of these are coming in april 2024 uh geiger redcoat rook exodus and uh yeah there's a whole list they even say they've got a a double page spread at the back that just says prep your pool lists speaking of pool lists if you've got one go to your fucking shop and pick it up but that's, oh, yeah. that's another yeah. conversation probably for next week um and you can sign up for their newsletter ghost machine pro and they're very much join the machine and win you can like there's a newsletter they're 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 pushing this they're obviously they're hugely excited about it the books look legit they look like they're fantastically put together wonderful artwork different styles something seems like something for everyone um my concern is i you know when i see it i think this is nice i hope it's got legs do you know what okay, i mean yeah um it, it's it feels like maybe it's because the ghost machine logo on the cover is yellow and black that i got real vibes of valiant back in the day when they had the reboot you know the one that we all loved okay. um you know it was almost like here's a new universe for everyone and and valiant had that kind of vibe didn't it you know with the yeah all the stuff that we we back in the day at london super comic con i was picking up all these valiant books etc um i hope these have got legs i hope there's that there's a market for these um I wonder, I was talking to the um, chaps off air, for all of all of the art and everything, because it's with image, and this sound, Ghost Machine sounds like a, the great name, a great name for a comic book series. I don't get it as a, or, or a studio, a studio of artists. You know how we had back in the day, there was Gaijin Studios, etc., all these different... But as a sort of like a figurehead for a shared universe, Go- Ghost Machine just sounds a little odd to me. Maybe no, I don't. Just... I don't know what it's meant to mean. I don't. No. Know, no. Yeah. No. And I'm sure there are reasons. <laughs> there, there's probably a reason for it, um, because it is through Image as well. Um, there's a, the double page spread that has the covers of Geiger, Red Goat, and, and Rook. Um, <laughs> it feels like the Ghost Machine logo. Is just stuck on like, like a little sticker, right? If you're going to create something, give it that. If you want to brand it, just you know, put that stamp all over it. Do you know what I mean? Make it like, yeah, we're being printed with image, but this is clearly a Ghost Machine universe book. Yeah, and it just looks like a little uh, sticker on there. The Geiger and Redcoat books. Not only have they got a Ghost Machine sticker on there, but they've also got a sticker for the unnamed universe, which is where they come from. Okay. So I think with things like this, there may be a little confusion with the readers. Um, yeah. Sometimes I think I- I'm picking up Geiger. I'm picking up two books from that line, the, the two that are out already, and I don't really know what it's all about. Right, okay. You think I should know, wouldn't you? But you can follow <clears throat> the actual issues themselves. You can... You oh, the actual you... issues themselves are actually really good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, probably some of my favourite books at the moment um, are those two books. But, and, yeah, to know how they fit into this, you know, this other universe, I don't I, know. I, haven't, I think you know. I think maybe, maybe they don't. I think what they're... One of the things that, when I read it more, Welcome to the First Fully Shared Creator-Owned Universes, 
are they talking more about the fact that these creators own these things and it's more like they're all share you know they're sharing and collaborating and doing all of that rather than like is rook going to cross over with geiger at any point it looks like they're completely different books but yeah. when you say shared universe you've got to be careful with it you know there could be wording that could confuse people does that make sense? Um, yeah, we yeah, need to read yeah. them, don't we? Really, or yeah, need the exactly. explanation yeah. of it. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, I hope it does well. I mean, they look legitimately like they're fantastic-looking books. I've I've yet to give yeah. this. A, I've I've given it really a good su- scan. superb art, and there's some writers there that I really like. Yeah. I trust. You know. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, and I love. I mean, we talk about it, we love seeing the back matter of like character designs and all of that. This one shot has all of that as well. So it's it's not just a hastily put together flyer. <clears throat> this one shot is worth your time because you know this is clearly a bunch of creative people that care about this and i'm interested to, I, I think get on it now because it'll be interesting to see what it's like for the rest of the year because you know come april when it starts running out properly hopefully it'll have that audience you know what i mean so ghost machine one shot <laughs> check it out let us know what you think um i i mean you you lovely listeners will probably understand it completely um rather than me going hey <laughs> What? Um, <laughs> and if you do, just please tell me because uh, I don't understand anything. I'm Apart- prepping a whole long box for this series. Fingers <laughs> crossed. Hey, <laughs> yeah. Um, but Tony, uh, so finish off. Um, I'm just doing the one this week. So th- I've been reading Thorgal, as I hinted at earlier. Um, Thorgal Wendigo is, I think that's how you say it, or Wendigo. Is, yeah, however you want. Is that Wendigo? Yeah, is the um, the new volume of Thorgal um, in France. And it is apps. It's advertised everywhere. Wherever you go, there's a street sign with the Thorgal sign on it. It's advertised at the train station when you walk out. There's a sign advertising this, and it's for those on the Slack. They'll see that it's a really striking cover of a oh, sort of amazing. warrior's mm. face, and it's massive. It's an oversized hardback. It's in the shop windows and everywhere. Um, and I realise it's one of those Bon Dessinay passions and traditions that we really are out of touch with over here. But what? But again, one that we should know about. Uh, the creative team for these books uh, is changed a bit over the years, to be fair. Different artists have come and gone, but it's been running since 1977. The, the creators of it were um, Jean Van Ham, who is a Belgian writer, who is absolutely massive. He wrote 13 as well, amongst other things, mm. which is another massive title. And the the artist on it initially was Polish artist uh, Gregor Rosinski, who does it all, st- I think, for many years, did a lot of the covers as well. As I said, it came out in '77, and in France, it has sold 11 million copies. So, Jesus. This, it's currently published by Le Lombard in France. I know um, we were chatting to Bob about that company, weren't we? Mm-hmm. And it's been published by Cinebook in English, albeit with a little bit of a stunted release schedule and in a slightly smaller soft cover format. I'm actually, I need to check on this. Uh, I couldn't see that they'd had much out recently and they are a little bit behind. The thing is with the Cinebook numbering, and you have to be careful with this because they, in some of their, t- you've read all read Cinebooks. The first Cinebook mm. tends to publish a couple of volumes. Yeah. So I'm not sure how the numbering compares to other, um, to what, to the, the original releases or what it says on the Wikipedia page or what it says on the Cinebook page. It, it's hard to work out which is which. And there are also, I think, about four spin-off titles, as of course there will be, because this has been going 40-odd years. It first appeared in Tintin magazine, uh, for which 
um, people don't realize this, Tintin magazine was an anthology title for many years. So it didn't just have Tintin in it. So that's, that's not unusual. And there's some great examples of um, OA from that magazine in the Museum de Papier, which is what I mentioned a minute ago. So it's a funny one as well. It's a funny book to tie. It's very all over the place in uh, tone and uh, genre even. So it the titular character, Thorgal Egerson, is he's from outer space right um he lands in yeah he lands in a capsule um crash lands and he is rescued by vikings um who bring him up uh, abandon him lose him find him abandon him um send him off to live elsewhere uh he comes back to them he gets a wife from there he has a kid It's, it's quite a complicated um history of his life even just as a kid but uh, to, to be fair, I'm uncertain where this sits now, but it, Thorgal remembers uh, much of what had happened to him through meeting a magician who I also think is his stranded grandfather. Um, and he explains to him, there's this sort of sci-fi bit in the first volume, first couple of volumes, about space knights jousting in space and this space station, and some of them crash land on Earth because they're, they're sent off from the, the spaceship and he, we have this massive sequence where it's all explained to Thorgal as a kid. And then the magician says, but I'm wiping your memory, so you won't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just wacky. It just yeah. really is wacky. Um, but, I mean, that may be enough for a storyteller from the 1970s, but not not for these guys. You also get um, fantasy elements. There's elves. There's sort of these sort of flying elves, sleeping giants, that gnomes who have to wander past them with Thorgal when he goes off an adventure with them. You get creatures from folklore, uh, so the Winding the Windingo, and you get also get um sort of Viking native religious figures. So you, there's a sort of Thor element to it as well. And Van Ham also has his own elements that he links into this. So there's this sort of special metal that's from space. I mean it's pretty fucking mental you know you, you do think this makes barbarella look like you know crime and punishment it's just so out there it's just just weird but you kind of enjoy it for that i really did um enjoy that sort of totally mad storytelling because i think the one of the thing the thing that you do notice with it is the eyes it by every eyes they get on this book is fucking flabbergastingly amazing it's just so well drawn i mean it, I was chatting to Simon about this as we were wandering around. There's a there's a different sequential story telling in in some, not in all, but in some Bond SNA books where the moment to moment panel to panel is different. There's a different aesthetic to it than there is yeah. in um, in American comics, and there and again there is again in British comics in a way. Mm. And um, it's it's a hard one sometimes to figure out what's going on because everything is these inflamed emotional moments. Um, but God, that I'm on a couple of slacks. So on our one, I put some images up of it, and everyone went bloody hell. And then on the um, eleven o'clock one, I put up and said, "This is a, one of my favourite books that I thought you might want to see." From Anglem, here's some images, and and about ten people said, "I have never heard of this." And these guys just talk comics all day, and that I've never heard of this. Where can I get it? So there is there is a there is a love of this stuff. There is a want for it. Um, in recent in the recent volumes, Thorgal and his wife find themselves um between two warring tribes um and in in the new the new volume there's a sea serpent and it's just fucking amazing the visuals are 
occasionally very Hellboy-esque, but with this sort of medieval Viking vibe to it with the monsters and stuff. And it's just uh, so rich that um, it's a shame that Cinebook have kind of, I can imagine Cinebook, I mean, God bless them, they push it, don't they? They try their best with it, but sometimes the British public are a bit reticent in buying new stuff. And maybe yes. stuff that is so densely um, uh, story told. There's a, there's a, I mean, there's a lot of panels in each of these pages. We've all seen it on a lot of BD work, haven't we? Um, but I think like we've had results with stuff like Carthago and stuff. When you, you invest yourself in it, yeah. you you have to put yourself out maybe to start get your head <clears> around <throat> it. It is so it's so well done. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's my one. Go and find Thorgal. Learn French. <laughs> There's a lot. Of, to there's, there's quite oh, a lot. <laughs> there's quite a lot of reading to do there, listeners. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I read five volumes yesterday. Um, you can buy them on Comicsology. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're brilliant. Yeah, yeah. and you can um, start with one, listeners. You can just start yeah. with one. Don't worry. The first volume is really cheap, and it's two. It's two French volumes put together. So there's loads there. Yeah. Amazing. There loads to get stuck into. Over That's the on. next week, and what a show it's been this week. So many recommendations. So much. So much learnt. You can go forward into your week, or you can enjoy the rest of your week. I don't know when people listen to it. I mean, we we do uh, the year, yeah, yeah, Through, throughout the week. Go and when, go and go and find Bob's book. Buy yeah. it. Looks great. Yeah, yeah. Even if mm. you're an alien who have just picked up this uh, signal from space, you should check it. Oh God, it's that time yeah. of the show. Go find it. Um, <laughs> but no matter who you are, we hope you have enjoyed this week's action-packed episode. Extra long. Uh, ep- <laughs> Well, you don't know when when it, I edit it and I take out all the swearing <laughs> and it's only five minutes long. Um, but no, we hope you enjoyed it. If there's anything else you want us to talk about on upcoming shows, etc., there's several different ways you can get in touch with us. You can email us awesomecomicspod at gmail.com. Follow us on social media. On Instagram, we're at awesomecomicspod and on X, Twitter, whatever it's, gonna be, whatever it's called, at the awesome pod, where we'll be shouting out about what we've talked about that week and the show in general. And... Uh, just, just retweeting and just genuinely sharing great comics because that's what this show's all about. And thank you uh, for listening. No matter where you heard us, like the website awesomecomics.podbean.com on the Podbean app, or if you're listening on Apple Pod- Podcasts, then uh, sub- thank you very much. Subscribe, leave a review. Yep. Helps, helps get the word out about the show and everything we talk about on a weekly basis. And also, you can do the same on Spotify. Spotify has like reviews and stuff now. So. Oh, cool. And there's other networks like Amazon, Stitcher, Podnose, Podknife. What are the networks for you on, Tony? We're on the Pod Network. Always go bum to bum. <laughs> B2B. B2B. Uh, B, that's what they mean by B2B marketing. B2, um, yes. Yeah. Bum to bum. Bum to bum market. Bum to bum market. <laughs> bum to bum coming to the t-shirt shop soon. Yep. Um, <laughs> too many jokes. Too many jokes. So instead, where can people find us online, etc.? Tony? NeverOwnAnything.com. So we need to know. There's some loads of pictures from Angoulême and stuff nice. like that. Go and have a look. Nice. Dan. You can find me on Twitter at Vanguard Comic and you can read Vanguard at VanguardComic.com. You've got a slight gravelly nature to your voice. Yeah, no, man. Uh, I've been okay. fading as the fucking show's been going on. I'm aroused by it. But, uh, but yeah, <laughs> just, just such a sexual energy. You can find me on social media at Jester Diablo. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Stay tuned next week. We'll, we'll be putting the world to rights, enjoying some comics, and basically just trying to get you as jazzed about comics and entertained as we can every week. Yeah. Um, 
But until that yeah. time, until that bat time and bat channel, or whatever they fucking call it, from Dan, <laughs> Tony, and myself, have a brilliant week. Read loads of comics. Make loads of comics. Keep making those comics because that we'll be reading later in the year, and then we'll be put, putting them in our end of year yeah. show. And uh, we're all going to go and have a little bit of a cuddle now and a bit of a nap. Yeah, go B to B. B to B. B to B. Triangular, triangle yeah. of bees. A, a triangle of bees. <laughs> oh god! This, once again, too many jokes. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. while we do that, have a brilliant re- week. Read loads of comics. Make loads of comics. And as always, what should they do, guys? Stay awesome. Stay awesome. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.